continuing a series uh, through the book of Philippians. It's been a, a nine, it's going to be a nine-week journey, and um, I'm carrying on with that. We're in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up from verse 12, and we're going to get there just now. If you want to turn to that, you can. I'm really excited about this message tonight. It just seems to be whenever you're on board with what God is doing, He's, he's speaking to you constantly. And in preparation for this message, I've been deeply challenged and deeply convicted about some of the stuff that I've just sat with in my life. And I'm really trusting and praying that God's going to do the same for you this evening. So we're in, we're in Philippians chapter 3, but I want to start off by telling you the story that I read about, or it's a, just a brief little uh, extract from a story. It's, it's, it's about a guy named um, Henry Moore, and he's a famous sculptor, was a famous sculptor. He was interviewed at about the age of 80 by a guy named Donald Hall, and this, this guy said to him, Donald said to this guy, um, Henry, now that you're 80 years old, you must know the secret to life. Right, assuming that because he'd lived so long, he's done something right. And uh, Henry Moore, who's a sculptor, smiled at him and apparently just said to him quite confidently, the secret to life is having something to do your whole life that you wake up and do day in and day out. But you must never be able to accomplish the goal. Right? Uh, when I read that, I was like, I really like that. Like, I think he's onto something. And what he was essentially saying was that the secret to enjoying life must be to be involved in something that's far bigger than you. Right? Something that you can't do in your own strength or can't possibly think about achieving. So it gets you up every day and it motivates you to get going and to try and achieve it. But you never finish it. And so there's always purpose and meaning. Now, I don't know if he was a Christian, but I would have added this. I would have said it must be something you can't possibly do without God. That's what I would have added to that. And I don't know if you would have appreciated that, but that's what I would have added. And I think, as I think about my life, I think about the stories that I enjoy, I think about the stuff that captivates us, books that we read, movies we watch, games that we play, all that sort of stuff. As human beings, we've been created to desire to be part of a story that's bigger than us, something that's beyond us. We love adventure. We love challenge. We love stretching ourselves beyond what we're able to do Hopefully, as Christians, we rely on God to be able to do that and to press into a space and a place where we're used by God to accomplish stuff that's beyond the natural. But as I've listened to people and as I've read books and read articles, I think one of the things that's challenging Christians big time nowadays is this inability to see that we are actually part of something bigger. And we tend to just go through life like mundane, pursuing goals, pursuing tasks that we're able to do in our own strength. And day in and day out, I'm not too sure that we feel like we're part of this massive adventure that God has called us to. And I had to ask myself this question, and God just popped these two questions into my heart. What is it that I'm doing? And I want you to ask yourself this tonight as we go through this message. What is it that you're doing right now that you know God has given you to do? What is it in your life that you are doing right now that you know God has given you to do? Or ask this question, what am I doing right now in my life on a daily basis that I know requires divine intervention? What is it that God has called you to that requires His assistance? Because He has called you to something, the difference is whether you've heard it or not, whether you're being obedient or not. And I find sometimes... If I'm honest, a lot of times in my life, I can get by, and that's weird. It's weird confessing that as a pastor, because you almost seem like, I feel like we get seen as a super spiritual and the super elite, and like we've got this ADSL connection, you know, or fiber connection with God, and you guys are sitting with 3G, you know. Um, we get, you know, 
put in that box. But I can get through my day sometimes just on my own momentum and my own abilities. And I can get through a week and I can get through a month. And the problem is if it goes unchecked, you can get through years without relying on God's strength, even in ministry. And I don't know what it is that you're doing, but I know that God has called you to something greater than you and it's beyond you and it's never going to be attained by you, achievable by you without His strength. And I think we as Christians need to be able to understand that that's the adventure that God's got us on. And it doesn't matter what it is that God's called you to or how many things God has called someone else to as a Christian and you've only got this one or two little other things. We've all been called to something, at least two things, together as Christians that require God's intervention. And that's this, intimacy with Jesus and becoming mature in the faith and growing in Christ-likeness. We've, we've been called to those two things, pursuing Christ-likeness and pursuing intimacy with Him. Every single one of us cannot get away from that. If you're a professing Christian, that's what God has mandated you to do. And when you think about that, if you properly understand it, those things are way beyond our ability. They are God desires, they are God dreams, they are God tasks. Paul says this, and Brad preached on this last week. He says, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Those are God-sized goals. And it doesn't matter what you feel about your life or how mundane your life is. As a Christian, God has called you to look like Jesus and to become intimate with Him and to know Him and to grow in intimacy. And that's something that's way beyond you or I. It's way beyond our physical abilities and our own abilities to be able to attain that. It has to be through God's enabling. And that's an incredible adventure to go on. There's a scripture in Romans 8, 29. If you were wondering whether it's all of our responsibility and whether God's mandated all of us to grow, to become more like Jesus, Romans 8 puts it straight for you. It says this in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. God has called every single one of us to become like Jesus and to grow in intimacy with him. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul's impart, he, he imparts some wisdom concerning how we get there and this road he's walked in becoming Christ-like and pursuing Jesus, growing in maturity and growing in intimacy. And in, in this passage, he refers to the pursuit of becoming Christ-like, his goal. He says, it's my goal. It's my goal to become Christ-like and the prize is to be made like him. The goal is to become Christ-like and the prize is to eventually be intimate with Jesus and to be like him. So let's read together and um, we'll unpack from there a little bit further once we're done. So chapter 3, Paul says this from verse 12. Speaking about becoming Christ-like, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold the true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you, often told you, and now tell you, 
even with tears in my eyes, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's a really rich and deep passage of Scripture. And one of the things you may have noticed straight away, Paul uses this analogy of like a runner or an athlete pursuing something. Right? It's an analogy of this guy running this race. That's the goal. The goal is to run the race, to be a good athlete and to gain a prize. But people get confused initially, and some people have been. They think that Paul's speaking about salvation. As we unpack this, I just want to say from the start, the metaphor of the race does not refer to salvation but sanctification. And that's just a big Christianese word that we use that means becoming like Jesus. Looking like him, being made more holy, having the sinful nature more and more destroyed and pushed back and less and less evident and more and more of Jesus in your life. That's the process of sanctification. We're all on it. Paul says we're running this race to be made more like him. Our life's goal is to be to pursue looking like Jesus. So how do we do this? Tonight we're just going to unpack four things. And I'll tell them now one, we have to have the right attitude, then the right effort, then the right focus, and then the right practice. Just those four things. We're going to get that from Paul together tonight. So firstly, we need to have the right attitude. Right In verses 12 and 13, Paul says, I haven't already attained this thing. He says, my life's goal is to become like Jesus and to become more intimate with him. But I want you to know I haven't quite got there yet. I want you to know that I don't think I've quite fully arrived or that I've reached the place where I can't grow anymore. He's quick to confess and to let us know he doesn't think that he's perfect or in any way close to being perfect. Paul understood that this thing was far bigger than him and his ability to be able to like be like Jesus. And that doesn't mean he's pursuing being God. He's pursuing being like his Savior in his life, in his attitudes, and in his thoughts. He wants to be made like Jesus in his being, not as in becoming God. I think we get confused and people have got confused and this whole New Age movement is a whole other philosophy and theology out there that says we can become gods ourselves. That's not what Paul's speaking about. What Paul is saying is he wants to be like Jesus the way that God desires us to be, and that's perfect in our makeup and sinless, like Adam and Eve were before, before, and in some ways even better. So Paul says, I'm pursuing this, but I haven't quite arrived yet. I'm enjoying the journey. I'm enjoying the race. It's a massive blessing, but I'm still pressing on, and I'm still taking hold of what God wants me to take hold of. And there's this, there's this holy discontent that he has. He's dissatisfied with where he's at, not in a way that stops him from moving forward, but in a way that it, it acts as a catalyst for him to pursue greater holiness and greater desire for God. And what he's trying to let us know is that this pursuit is never going to end, and we can't be spiritually satisfied as people and as believers if we're going to step into greater and greater things, because spiritual satisfaction leads to spiritual apathy. This is what I mean. It doesn't mean you can't be content with your salvation and content with Jesus. It doesn't mean you can't be content with where you're at with the Lord. If that contentment stops you from desiring more and you think you've reached it and you've got enough and this is all you need, that's bad. 
It's that sort of contentment. It's that sort of spiritual contentment that leads to apathy and is dangerous for us because we end up stagnating in this lukewarm pool of water that Jesus says we need to get out of. Paul's like, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on. I haven't quite attained it. And you know what? That's awesome for me because it just means there's more, there's more, there's more. And Paul's encouraging us. He's, he's being open and honest. He's saying, this isn't a bad thing to confess that you haven't quite made it. You get this theology that goes around. It's called perfectionism. People will tell you that they've attained the glorious perfection that Jesus has for us one day. And they walk around believing that they can never and have not sinned since a certain, certain time in their life. The people who hold to that theology and that it's possible to attain perfection here. We're pursuing perfection and one day we'll realize it and that's the prize. And Paul says we press on. We can't be spiritually apathetic. And as I read this and as I read Paul's confession, I was actually quite encouraged to know that he was able to be honest about this because it helps shape my attitude and... um, Helps me not to get beat down and broken when I mess up. Right? It, it, it helps me to get excited about the fact that no matter what I've experienced in Jesus, there's always more. There's something deeper. There's more intimacy. There's more power. There's more authority. There's greater revelation. Imagine if those people who've seen people raised from the dead or have prayed for people and have had them healed, or imagine if those people who've led hundreds of people to Jesus just stopped with, I got saved and that's enough. There's always more. We always need to be pressing into more of the kingdom for the glory of his name. Remember Paul said early on in chapter 2, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Was that chapter 1? Somewhere before chapter 3, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He lives for Jesus. There is no other reason. He's pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly, and we need to be doing the same. His imperfection inspired him to greater pursuit of Jesus. It didn't get him bogged down. He didn't start feeling sorry for himself. He was open and honest about this thing and actually celebrated the fact that there was more. It's like playing a game on Xbox or PlayStation. And you clock it. You're like, oh. All right? But then you get these games called sandbox games. right? Which for you parents and senior guys here, it just means there's no end to it. right? It just means it goes on and on and on and on. How they code that and develop that, I don't know. But it's exciting. Because you can play a game that just doesn't end. There's new stuff to discover all the time. And the reason why they did that was because people wanted a game that didn't end. People hate clocking a game. Because then you've got to go buy a new one. And that costs money. So they created a sandbox game. God has essentially got us in a sandbox version of becoming like Jesus. And it will end when we become perfect with him one day. But while we're here, we pursue perfection and we gain greater and greater degrees of glory and holiness. The second thing is this. We need to have the right effort. So we need to have the right attitude. And the attitude is this. We'll never achieve perfection here, but we need to pursue it. Right? We can't be so proud as to think we actually can be the way Jesus was here in all aspects of our lives. We need to have the right attitude and that needs to motivate us. The next is we need to have the right effort. The word press is actually a word that's translated run after. And in ancient, like pursue, run after, chase after hard. In ancient Greek, it was often used to speak about a hunter pursuing his prey. It was just like real hard pressing in. After somebody it reminds me of some of the guys and the girls in our church. You know, it's like they really run after their prey, right? 
and pursue hard the relationship. If we're going to grow as Christians, we really need to press in and pursue hard our Savior. There needs to be an effort made towards that. But so often our efforts are placed and sort of divided up into different areas. And we rely on our own strength to get stuff done. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's him saying, this is not me doing what is being done in my life. You can look at my life and see the power and see the strength, but it's God at work. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. When you hear Paul saying, I worked harder than any of them, it might sound a little bit boastful and a little bit proud, but it's actually an accurate reflection and representation of what happened. Paul, forgo- he, he, he gave up marriage, right? He planted more churches than any of the other guys. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was in prison often. Often he would go, and he would not receive payment from the churches that he would pastor and plant, Right? And he would go and build tents, that's where the term tent making comes from, as a way to sustain himself in his ministry. So he pressed and he pressed and he pressed and his efforts were focused towards bringing God glory and extending the kingdom. So I ask myself this question, why are so many Christians not growing when we have examples like this around us, flesh and blood examples, and we have scripture to motivate us in that direction? It's because we live in a world, and particularly the Western world and the Western church, where people are not willing to press in and work hard to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of us for. We're not willing. We're not willing to press in and work hard because some of us have been too caught up in the grace movement, and we think grace means we don't do anything to become godly. Grace means Jesus did the saving you now need to actually work to become godly. But we don't like the idea of work and salvation and our relationship with Jesus being mixed together because we have other priorities and we want to put effort into other areas of our lives where actually life's all-consuming pursuit needs to be Jesus and intimacy with Him. If we're willing to be honest with ourselves, right, and give an honest evaluation, and I include myself here, many people work hard at everything else other than their spiritual lives. Let's be honest. Right? I'll get up early to go to a sports match, or go hang out with friends, or go away on a holiday. I'll even pull an all-nighter to get projects for school done, or for work done. I'll pull an all-nighter to hang out and to play games with friends. Or I'll put maximum efforts into making sure that I'm ready and sorted out for a job interview. To make money or to make a name for myself or to establish myself. And I'm not saying that that stuff's wrong. I'm just saying when it takes the place of putting effort into and pursuing Jesus, it's wrong. When that takes everything that you have and Jesus gets the dregs, if he even gets that, that is wrong. God's goal, and this will blow your mind if you haven't heard this before. When I heard it, it revolutionized the way I looked at my faith and at my Savior. God's goal is not just to save you. Some Christians are like, what? Like, it's not just about entering the gate. It's not just about being saved. 
God's goal is far more than just saving you. There's a kingdom that you step into when you step in through the gate. The gate closes behind you and you've got a world to explore. And God goes, I've called you into this thing. I actually have a purpose for you. I have plans for you. I want you to be useful here. It's not just about being saved. It's not just about getting fire insurance. Some Christians will get into heaven smelling like smoke. Right? Others will get there with a truckload of blessing because they've put effort in the right place. They will have experienced intimacy with Jesus. They would have become Christ-like to greater and greater degrees. But for many, it will just be the gate closes behind you and you're just stuck there. I remember playing paintball once for the first time. One of my mates, we entered into the paintball arena and I promise you for four games, which each lasted 20 minutes, he just sat there. And he ducked up and down behind a tire. Right at the end of it, the tire was full of paint and he had nothing happen to him. At the end, he was like, oh, I'm really bummed. I just... I should have taken the chance and gone and explored and had fun. We were telling war stories. We had bruises and blood splatter everywhere. It was amazing. And I really felt sorry for him because he didn't take the opportunity that he had. He stepped onto the playing field but was content with just sitting there. And he wrestled with, should I go, shouldn't I go, shouldn't I go, shouldn't I go. The goal and the whole point of the game and the day was to have fun and to go and shoot people, right, with paintballs. And he just sat there. And I feel sometimes like Jesus is going, I've saved you, but are you really content with that? When what I've said to you is this is about living kingdom lives, not just about being saved. I think often that reflects our selfish hearts. We want God to do stuff for us, but very seldom are willing to go on a journey and an adventure with Him because it's going to require effort from us for Him. The irony is that's actually when we end up getting most blessed. So here's what it says. Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, I have, have, have nothing to do with irrelevant or silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. What does that mean, guys? You have to work hard to be godly. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You don't sleep on the Bible and wake up in the morning godly and ready for action. All right? To serve Jesus and raise people from the dead and lead people to him. It actually requires a step of obedience and effort to be godly. We're going to be going through a series in the near future called disciplines. We're going to celebrate the disciplines of the faith and we're going to be speaking about how to put effort and action into certain areas so that you can be trained for godliness and I'm excited about that. The next point is point three, right? We must have the right focus, not just the right attitude, not just the right effort, but the right focus. In verse 13 and 20, this is what Paul says. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Our citizenship is not here, but it is in heaven. And from there, we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious one. Many Christians don't grow because you're focused on too many things. And for Paul, he just had one focus, one purpose, one vision that was to be made like Jesus. And he keeps his focus. I'm going to split it up into two. He says it's just one thing that he does. I'm going to split it into two. He keeps his focus by doing this one thing, which can be split into two. Firstly, he says, I forget what lies behind. Right? Both good and bad. And I want, to, I want to point that out and highlight that. Paul says, I forget what lies behind both good and bad. See, when it comes to forgetting the good, 
It doesn't mean that we forget about the memories that we've had and that we do have and good times that we've spent with people. But past successes are just that, past. They're done. They're finished. They can't sustain you into the future. And too many people rely on the glory days like Bruce Springsteen speaks about and sings about. All right? And they forget that it's actually about moving forward. The past is the past, past experiences are past experiences. Successes that are past are past. Paul forgets about all his achievements. In fact, he says, hey, all of the stuff that I had before, I counted as, I think Brad said, like dung, right, like, like poo. I counted as, as rubbish, trash. I count everything I've ever achieved as like being good. I count as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. I forget about those things. He hasn't really forgotten about them. He's just saying they have no more sway over me. They don't hold power over me anymore. I don't consider them to be benefiting me at all. It's past. Jesus is greater. It can become so easy to live in yesterday. Imagine if, if as pastors, you came up to us after a Sunday and you're like, wow, that was a really great message. And by the way, thank you for those who encouraged us. We really appreciate it, right? Because we put a lot of time, energy, and effort into this and we hope that you're blessed. And we really receive that and it's great. But imagine if when you did that, we were like, great. That means next week sorted. I, I'm, I'm, I know next week is going to be fantastic because this week God used me. And people were blessed. Imagine if we just chose not to put effort in. Imagine if you got to work and your boss said to you, hey, what are the financial statements like? And you were like, oh, last year they were great. And he's like, what are you doing now? No, nothing. We're just riding the train. Right? It doesn't work like that in the real world. And with the spiritual, it doesn't work like that either. God says every day you wake up and you put effort in the right direction and you focus about forgetting what went behind you and what's in the past. We all know those people who live in the glory days, right? I'm one of them when it comes to rugby, all right? Because I've got nothing to look forward to now <laughs> except the one-point loss against New Zealand, okay? Yeah. But I'm a Christian today because today I believe in Jesus, not because yesterday. I'm growing in Christ's likeness because today I choose to be disciplined. Today I choose to pursue him, not because yesterday I chose or because yesterday I stuck up my hand or because last week I came to church or because someone prophesied over me two weeks ago. No, today I choose to follow Jesus, right? And that doesn't mean I'm unsure of my salvation. I'm constantly sure of it, but I'm making every effort to make sure my faith is relevant and current, not some past hashed version of who I used to be. When we become complacent and satisfied with where we're at it becomes a problem and dwelling on past successes will cultivate that right we also can't dwell on our past failure right? we, we can't allow ourselves to go there and this is where a lot of us go it's very easy to beat yourself up and to become self-loathing and self you know um, pitying because of the stuff we've done in the past paul was a man who was present at the stoning of stephen Right? People chucked down their bloody clothes at his feet, and I'm sure his feet got splattered with the blood of Stephen as the Pharisees stoned him. And he was a persecutor of the church. He hated Jesus and the Christians, so much so that he was on a mission to go and destroy them. He was on the road to Damascus when Jesus met him. And he tells about this in 1 Timothy. He says this, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, he says, Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Other translations say I was an angry man. Right? 
I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What does Paul highlight? Both the negative and the positive, but his focus is on the grace of Jesus. And so when he looks back, I'm sure he has memories of stuff he's done wrong, but it doesn't hold him back. He's like, yeah, I messed up, but look at the grace of God. How much more is that highlighted because of my mistakes? But what do we do as Christians? We're like, oh, I've messed up with God. Yeah, I've hurt this person. This person's hurt me. And we dig our claws in and we allow the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. And we just drag this anchor through the mire. If we even go anywhere, it's very slowly. Right? And we just hold on there. And some people end up in a place where they can't come to church anymore. They stop spending time with the Lord. They stop reading the Bible. And all of it seems legitimate because it's an excuse about the pain that we've had. And I'm not saying that that's not real. I'm just saying God says I'm able to get rid of that stuff. So how much longer are you going to hold on to it? Paul says the only way you're going to grow in intimacy and relationship with me is if you forget about the past and allow me to sever that and the hold that it has on you so that you forget about the good and the bad and you press forward towards the goal. There's a guy named Roger Bannister and another guy named John Landy. Roger Bannister was the first man to break the four-minute mile, right? It wasn't too long after that that John Landy broke it again by 1.4 seconds, right? You must have been really upset if you're Roger Bannister. Then they got together for a historic race where they raced together, Bannister and Landy, right? Landy was in the lead most of the way. It sounds like Landy and then you need Ford and Toyota, right? But Landy was in the lead, Right? Bannister behind him until the finish straight. And this is from um, Landi, uh, Landy's uh, mouth, his own testimony. He said, I was on the finish straight and I had this like, ominous feeling that Bannister was behind me and I couldn't shake the thought, where is he? Where is he? Legitimately, what happened was he turned around to look and as he did that, he lost momentum and Bannister overtook him and won. And he said this to a reporter afterwards, John Landy did. He said, I can guarantee you if I hadn't turned around, I would have beat him. And I just think too many Christians spend their lives turning around, going, look at all the good stuff that I've done. And so they become complacent and proud. Or they turn around and they look at all the bad stuff that's happened and they go, God can never use me. Both of those are from the enemy. Both of those are demonic. Both of those God says we need to get rid of if we're going to pursue intimacy and grow with Jesus. The other thing that Paul did was he pressed on towards the future and he looked forward. I'm going to end with this. This evening, I think we're running out of time. It says, I press on and I look towards the goal. I look towards becoming Christ-like. And if we're going to stay focused in this world, we have to stay focused on the spiritual, not the physical. Jesus says in Revelation 22, he says, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. It makes a difference where you focus and where your priorities are. It makes a huge difference. And we can't swap them around and chop and change our priorities. Jesus has to be our primary focus. I don't know if you know um, who uh, Ray Kroc is. Anybody know who that is? He's the guy who started the McDonald's chain, right? He started the McDonald's chain and became incredibly famous. And if you've had one of their burgers lately, you've, uh, you've eaten some of his legacy, right? But he was asked once by a reporter to speak about what his priorities are because they wanted to know how to become a successful businessman. And he said this, God, family, work, right? And everyone's like, wow. And he's like, but wait, let me stop you. I must be honest. When I'm at work, I reverse the priority. 
In other words, when I'm at work, it becomes work, family, God. That's just refreshingly honest from a man who's incredibly successful. And I don't know which God he believed in or who his God was, but I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, the same thing happens. When we're at church, it's God, family, everything else. But when we're outside of church, it's everything else, family, friends, God. If we're going to be Christians who mature and grow and press on towards the goal and take hold of what God has for us to take hold of, Jesus can never stop being your priority. The goal of life needs to be to pursue intimacy with him and maturity and so that you can win the prize. See, Paul was focused on what was coming. Earthly inheritance, uh, spiritual inheritance, heavenly inheritance, not earthly gain. When you focus your priorities on Jesus, he also tends to grant you the grace that you need in every area of your life. And I've noticed this. It's this thing that just happens with Jesus. When you put him first, everything else falls into place. But when you're trying to put all the other blocks in place and you don't have the cornerstone, everything else just goes skew. And you might build half for a while, right? Especially if you've got some engineering background. But eventually it's going to collapse because the structures skew and isn't on a solid foundation, right? The load shedding is not very good. But when you start building with Jesus as a cornerstone, you end up in a place you can't get you by yourself. The last point, guys, and I'm just going to wrap this up quick, quick, is we must have the right practice. And all that means is this. You need to be making sure that you follow hard, and according to Paul, those who can set an example for you. You can be sure that anybody who's growing in their faith is somebody who's taking what they've heard and has put it into practice. Right? And the way we gain more knowledge is not only through God's word and spending time with him, but through the blessing of other people in our lives. Paul says, not proudly, he says, hey, follow me as I'll follow Jesus. And then he goes on to say, follow all the other guys who are like us. Follow those people who set a good example for you in the faith. Don't ignore people who are mature in the faith and whose example you can follow. Follow them, press hard after them, become like them because they're becoming like Jesus. We need each other. If you're going to mature in the faith, we need each other. God wrote that in the Scriptures so that we could know it's not just about us. We need ourselves, we need the Spirit, and we need others in order to grow in maturity and in Christ-likeness and to pursue intimacy with Jesus. There's, um, it's a little bit sad, but it's, it's apt for the ending of this message. There's a guy who was climbing the Swiss Alps, right? And um, he messed up and he slipped and he fell and he died. That's the worst part of the story, right? But where he fell, there's a, there's the, the, there's a stone remembering him. And on the stone there's an epitaph and it's short. It just says this, his name, and then it says he died climbing, Right? And I just think that that is so apt for us as Christians. That's what has to happen in our lives. That's what needs to be the epitaph on our stones. When we die, it needs to say, Roland Cohen died climbing. Not a physical mountain, but towards Jesus and towards Christ-likeness and towards intimacy with him. And I wouldn't have it any other way. That's what I desire to be written on my tombstone, that I died climbing becoming like Jesus. And it's only when we pursue that end in our life that we're truly satisfied, truly blessed, truly fulfilled. No other life pursuit is greater than the call of becoming like Jesus. If you can name one, I'll be very impressed that supersedes becoming like my Savior. 
That is a kingdom goal that requires God. And every single one of us is called to that. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. He says, guys, don't waste your time stagnating. Be mature, pursue intimacy, and do it the right way. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word, that it is rich, that it is deep. God, that it nourishes us. Thank you, God, that it brings conviction, that it brings encouragement, that it brings life. And I pray for us, Lord, in this place tonight as your people, as your believers. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that where we've looked back and we've allowed the enemy to cause us to stagnate, forgive us for that. We repent of that together in Jesus' name. And we ask, God, help us to focus on moving forward. Help us, God, to have the right attitude, the right effort, the right focus, and the right practice. Lord, cause us to desire to know you and to pursue intimacy with you all the days of our lives. That we can be kingdom people that bring you glory. In Jesus' name. We're going to go into a time of worship. If you have anything to share, if you would like some prayer,